Timothy chapter 12, as we talk about God's will. And, you know, lots happened during the last couple of weeks, but we position ourselves today to talk about God's will and ask a question about that. Is there anything harder? Is there anything really harder in life than accept God's will? But there's a lot of things hard in life. We can think of it a lot of them pretty quickly. So last week, as we begin to think about this message for today, I thought of a couple situations in which sometimes it's hard for us, maybe not the child, but it's hard for us as a parent when certain things begin to happen. Like, for instance, when a child is ready to go to kindergarten. I mean, they're just giddy, excited, and ready to get out of the car or they're on the bus, but a lot of times on that very first day, I've noticed over the years that mamas have to take their children to school. It backs up the bus line everywhere. But especially when the child goes to kindergarten, mama likes to take that child to school. But the child is giddy and excited and ready. The child gets out of the car, starts going into the school, and mama starts to cry because her baby just walked into the school. So that moment was hard for that lady, for that mama that day, to let her child go to the first day of school. And then I got thinking even further. And advancing even further in years, I thought, you know, now mom and dad have raised that child many years ago, say 12 years later, they're graduating from high school. It's a day of rejoicing. And sometimes it's just rejoicing, it's just really happy and they're, they're, they're celebrating that this child has finally graduated high school. And so it's a moment of rejoicing. But then that's followed, if you will, by about three months later when that child now is going to college. And again, the child is excited. We're going to school. And they're excited about going to university. And But mom and dad then, they're excited at the moment. But then they have to drive all the way back home. They go into the empty house. And that joy is no longer there. And it's hard as they had to say goodbye to their child. Those things are hard in life. There's difficulty moments like that throughout all of our lives. And we could express that then as something that is hard to accept and hard to go through and hard to do. But yet but the question still remains, is there anything harder than accepting God's will? Because that's a question we come today to ponder. And I will admit to you, standing before you, that at many different times in my life, it has been hard to accept God's will. But ultimately, I and really all of us must just trust God and exercise and keep our faith. And remember that God knows the big picture. He knows the whole story. While we, at the very best, only have a small idea about what's happening. And because of that, we must trust him and accept his will. The text we're going to read today and consider tells us about this truth, that God is in complete control. And while we may not understand it, we must accept his will. And then exercise faith and trust. As I mentioned, the text is from 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's pertaining to David and his situation where he ultimately had to accept God's will. 
we'll examine this text today and begin to apply it to our lives. And see then that we too must accept God's will and God's way. Stand with me today as we do so to honor the reading of the word. We're going to land in the 12th chapter of 2 Samuel, as I mentioned. We're going to start our reading in verse 15, then to read through verse 20. 2 Samuel chapter 12, 30 and verse 15. Then Nathan went to his house, that's the house of David. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself so harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Father, we do come before you this morning, Lord, perhaps grieving, heavy in heart, Lord. Mourning, certainly, for one we miss, one we love. But we come together today to just accept your will, your way. I pray, Lord, this message today would lead us into understanding and help us today, Lord, as we do have that time of affliction and mourning upon us, Lord. So we, we ask that you'll guide, that you'll lead, that these words today, Lord, would in some way be comforting. So, Lord, let these words be helpful to us. Let's receive your message today, Lord. It's your message, not mine. Let's receive it today. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, with the reading of the text, maybe before we go any further, it's helpful to have a little background to what we just read. So let's go back to the text and start at the beginning in verse 15. And notice the very first words we learn or the very first person we meet in the text is Nathan. So you may be wondering, well, who is Nathan? If you're not familiar to the story, then allow me to explain a little bit about what's going on and who Nathan is. Because Nathan is the first person we meet, and Nathan is the prophet sent by David to convict David of his sin. It happens to be that David, the king of Israel, has had an adulterous relationship with a woman named Bathsheba. That's all recorded in the previous chapter. But if you know the story, then let me go a little further. If you're not, then listen, because David had thought that in his adulterous relationship he had with Bathsheba, he thought that he got by with it. That, that, that he kind of covered it up and nobody knew. And then as he was doing this, he also covered up his sin, not only with the relationship he had with Bathsheba, but in the fact that he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, who is also mentioned in verse 15, by the way, that he had him killed. And recall that Uriah, again, Bathsheba's husband, 
It was at the battlefield. It was a time of battle. And David, rather than being in the battle, found himself at home at the palace, walking along. And he's walking along while other people are battle. He looked and he saw a woman bathing and happened to be Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Was David saw Bathsheba. He described as beautiful. He, he instantly had his servants to seek her out and to have her to come. And then he was with her. And as a result of their time of being together, she becomes pregnant. When, when David learns then that Bathsheba was with a child, he concocted a plan for Uriah to come home from the battlefield so that Uriah could be with his wife to make it look like the child that was conceived was Uriah's, not David's. Only Uriah did not go to his wife. He stayed at the doorstep of David's palace and slept overnight. So since David's plan kind of backfired, he thought of another cover-up. He sent Uriah ultimately back to the battlefield with a note in hand. And the note he gave to the commander Joab of the army which David had instructed Joab then to place Uriah in the front, in the most severe of the battle. And of course, ultimately, as the story goes, Uriah dies. But David thought he cleverly covered up his sin. Not realizing, maybe not remembering, that God knows everything. And you cannot hide from God. A truth that Adam also had to learn in the very beginning of the word, in the book of Genesis. So then God commissioned Nathan. That's where we come into the story. God commissioned Nathan the prophet to confront David and inform David then that God knew of his sin. And not only did God know of David's sin, but his sin, as all sin does, would have consequences. And one consequence, unfortunately, was that the baby that had been conceived with Bathsheba would not live. And with that information, it brings us full circle back to the text. Again, we read verse 15 and considered it. Introduce ourselves again to Nathan. We know the child had been afflicted from the sin that David had with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. But look at verse 16 once more. When that has happened, we see then David, therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So observe, if you will, David's actions. When, when a child becomes ill, David's actions are twofold. Number one, he sought out God on behalf of the child. Secondly, he fasted. He lay on the ground. I mean, maybe he got up, maybe he curled up in a fetal position. He doesn't describe it that way, but I can picture David kind of curled up in a fetal position. After he learns the child is ill. But notice the first part of verse 16, his immediate action, if you will, maybe simultaneously curling up as he goes after he sought out God for the child's life. So the question for a moment is, what does it mean then that, that David sought out God for the child's life? What does that really mean? Well, I, I tell you what it means is that he passionately began to pray fervently began to pray. I mean, David began to pray and he poured out his heart to God. I mean, David was a man of prayer. I mean, this was mentioned in Psalms 109 verse 4. 
where he says, I give myself to prayer. So then David now is lying on the floor in a position of submissiveness and impassionately praying to God on behalf of the child. Robert Bergen in his commentary on 2 Samuel states that David began to plead. He says, David demanded prayer, pleaded with God for the child. David's efforts on behalf of his beloved infant were intense, fueled both by a father's natural compassion for a sick child and by a profound confidence in God's mercy. Without hesitation, the king fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. I mean, David literally begged for God to heal his child. If you will, David was praying for a miracle. David was aware that if anyone could perform a miracle, if anyone could heal his child, it was God. So then David, again, perhaps curled up or maybe even on his knees, is earnestly praying, solely concentrating all of his energy on the well-being of the child. His prayer is almost continuous. It's like ongoing. Without any interruption of the basics of life, even a food to sustain him. Notice in verse 17, the elders of the house try to persuade him to eat. They try to get him to get up and come and eat while he's in this position of fervent, passionate prayer, just pouring out his heart to God. But David is not deterred, he does not get up to eat. His only focus is upon God and pleading for the case for the child to live. Notice, if you will, go further in verse 18, that reveals to us this was not just one day of prayer, and that several days had passed. Verse 18, the author then allows us to be able to see the extent, if you will, of David's prayer vigil. It's not just one day, not even two days, but a full week that David is engrossed in prayer. But notice in verse 18, of course, when it says on the seventh day, the child died. Again, we learn it was seven days, maybe in prayer, David on his knees, maybe curled up praying fervently to God. But notice the prayer, as some people would dare to suggest, is not answered. As a child dies on the seventh day of the prayer vigil, by the way, that's not an answered prayer. That's just the fact that God answered another way. God answered according to his will and his way. But observe in verse 18 the reaction of the people closest to David. I mean, his servants. I mean, they think at this time it is best not to tell David that the child died. And he'd been praying continually, ongoing for seven days without food, without anything to sustain himself. And, and they're concerned about his well-being and, and think it's not best to tell him anything about the child had died for the fear that David might harm himself. But they really can't keep it a secret, can they? I mean, David is perceptive. He saw his servants whispering to each other. And then immediately gathered that the child must have passed. In verse 19, 
But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, together, David understood the child was dead. But he had to be certain. David had to know for sure. So he point blank asked the question, is the child dead? To which they answer affirmatively, yes, the child is dead. So there it is. That's what's happened. So how is David going to react? I mean, how will we react? Verse 20 tells us of David's reaction. Then David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Remarkably, David rises from his fetal position or on his knees, whichever position he's in, just pour his heart to God. He just rises from the position. He washes himself, changes his clothing. And then what? He goes to the house of the Lord to worship. He praises God. He took a moment when everything had happened to lift up God in exaltation, to adore him. He's just recognizing God for being the most supreme, great, almighty, sovereign God of the universe. Recognizing for who he is. That's his reaction. I mean, his reaction surely surprised the servants who were afraid to tell him the baby had died. Remember, they thought if they did, he might harm himself. But no, David washes himself, went into the house of the Lord to worship. Bergen again comments, he said, instead of doing something reckless and injurious, instead of injuring himself, David ended his humiliation before the Lord and prepared to worship. Even as David's unnamed son was being prepared for birth, David was grooming himself for a new life. And this new life will begin exactly where the king's earlier life had found his success and strength in the presence of the Lord. In essence, David accepted God's will. I mean, he pleaded with God to spare him from the child from death. But God exercised a different plan. His will, his way, his ultimate plan. And note, as we go back to verse 20, that after David had now finished worship, I mean, after he, 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 he goes to the house of worship, changes the clothes and, and washes the body, he goes to worship. After he has done that, he returned to life. And he ate, verse 20. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. So what does all that mean? I mean how, how then could maybe maybe sum up David's actions? Well, here's how we can sum it up. In losing his son, David sought more than ever to gain a deeper relationship with his heavenly father. Let me say that again. In losing his son, David sought more than ever to gain a deeper relationship with his heavenly father. It is significant that David did not break his fast 
until after he had worshipped God. David's hunger for a right relationship with God exceeded his desire for culinary delights. There's no other way to state it. There's no other way to put it. I mean, David accepted God's will. It's an illustration of what we stated of the central theme and the truth during the introduction, that God is in complete control. And we may not ever understand it, but we must accept his will, his plan, his way, and exercise faith and trust. The last two weeks have been really a bit of a blur. It almost passed too quickly. A tremendous affliction was placed upon all of our lives. It just didn't affect Nick and Declan, Tucker, and Jackson. It affected every one of us. But the pronouncement that Ray had cancer took everyone by surprise. I mean, cancer in itself was not really a surprise for all of us because we we have a lot, on our prayer list, we have a lot of people with cancer. I mean, Nora is still battling. We talked about how she's in a second radiation treatment with 28 more to go. I mean, so we have a lot of people having a pronouncement that cancer itself was not a great surprise because a lot of people in our family do have cancer. But it's a surprise. Maybe the right word is shock. Was a prognosis of the fact that she may have a couple of weeks or days. And that threw all of us into a tailspin and an immediate posturing of prayer. And I'm sure that you were probably like I was praying, like David was, for a miracle. I mean, praying for a healing. But that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't his will. Again, the question, is there anything harder than accepting God's will? Every one of us in our family here loved Ray. And accepting God's will for someone that we love is not easy. It is hard. It is difficult. It might be the hardest thing that we do. But yet we must accept his will. Now listen, it doesn't mean we've got to like it. But rather we have to accept his will, his way, his plan. And yes, that's very hard. Last Tuesday morning, some of us were gathered together in the hospital room. And you can see that Ray had begun to accept God's will. 
and she was taking it better than any of us. And and she pulled Nick and Declan and Tucker and Jackson aside, got him right there on the bed. And and she just began to talk to them. One of the things that I remember, and Nick probably does too, and maybe Jeannie, because she was there as well, that she told them is, do not be mad at God. Do not be mad at him. Because he can bring something good from everything. We can't make sense of it. But she said God can bring something good from everything that happened. And with that, I mean, I knew immediately what Ray was thinking. It's the principle of 828 in the book of Romans. It says, as we know for, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And also reminds us of our theme again, that God is in complete control. And while we may not understand it, may not like it, we must accept his will. And exercise faith and trust. Isaiah had written in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, he's, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Which is similar to Romans 8.28, and reveals to us that God has a purpose and a plan for all things. And we must exercise our faith and trust in Him. It's interesting that faith is described in the Bible. Faith is defined, defined by Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says, Now faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's how the Bible defines faith. But I'll give you another definition of faith. That faith is accepting God's will when it doesn't make sense. I pray for America. I, I, I pray that Ray received the miracle. And I knew that God was a miracle provider. David knew it in the text. We all know it. God still is in the miracle business. He can still perform any miracle that he desires, that he wants. But God apparently had a different plan. And I ultimately accept his will. I also prayed for a healing. I prayed that Ray would be healed, but also recognized today that Ray was healed. I can assure you that she has been healed. Ray has been healed. No more suffering. She had a lot of suffering. She had a lot of pain. But there's no more suffering. There's no more pain. There's no more cancer. For she is in her heavenly home that had been prepared for her. And I can assure you, she began to dance with Jesus, and by the time he started dancing, well, she was talking a mile a minute to asking every question she could possibly think of. In our studies on Wednesday night, she ultimately always asked questions, question, 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 didn't even always agree. But I said, Ray, one day you'll get the answer to your questions. So she got the answers to her questions. She's a whole lot smarter than we are. Because she got the answers. And while we can maybe rejoice with that, recognize how we are still, well, we're left behind. 
she's dancing with Jesus and she's getting the answers we're left behind. And I'm telling you, all we can do really is to accept God's will and recognize that God is in control. And when we may understand his ways, we must accept his way and his will. And all we can do then is exercise faith and trust. And then by accepting his will, we also know that we can see her again. I mean, for those who have been born again, recognize Jesus as Lord, our separation we have with Ray is only temporary. In the text that we read through verse 20, there's more to the story which you're about to reveal. And David then, as all this has happened, notice his reaction his first action is a prayer, ultimately accepting the will. He actually makes it to the end a very theological statement that we're about to unveil concerning the child and how he will see him again. Verse 21. Then his servants, David's servants said to him, I mean, they're shocked now from David's reaction. So what is this thing you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you rose and ate food. So David said in verse 22, when a child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that a child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Then listen, David says, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. You know, the finale of the story not only demonstrates, I mean, again, that David accepted God's will, and it shows that once more, but also he makes a great truth that we can begin to truly look forward to. That after David is questioned about all his actions and his reactions from everything that happened, he wisely and astutely states that he cannot bring the child back, but one day he will go to the child. He will go to be with him. Bergen once more comments, comments, God had acted and the child was dead. Never be brought back again. The child's death did not mean that God was unjust or unloving. On the contrary, it meant the divine Lord spoken through the prophet Nathan's word was trustworthy. The Lord's word had not changed. The Lord himself had not changed. Divine grace was just as real after the death as it had been before. Neither David's sin nor the child's death had changed God's nature. Therefore, now that the child was gone, David could and must get on with his life. Though David was now bereft of his son, the separation would only be temporary. There is to be heard a note of consolation in David's words, I will go to be with him. I will go to him. As it is for all of us. The separation is only temporary. We shall go to her. And we can also dance with Jesus. The fact is we serve a gracious and loving God. He is no moral monster that robs us of loved ones and people we desire to be with. But rather he provides a way for all of us to be together with the loved one that we miss. And it's only through his son, Jesus Christ. The only way we get to see her again is through Jesus Christ. 
and the sacrifice he made for each of us. I can be consoled as you can. That Ray loved Jesus. She accepted. Ray accepted the extension of Jesus' hand to her many years ago. And then she began to accept his plan, his will, his way. Before I did, before we did. Ray knew what was coming. And she accepted his will, his way, his plan. And today, we must as well. If I may echo the theme once more, God is in complete control. And while we may not understand his way, his will, we must ultimately accept it. All we can do is exercise faith and trust in him. Put your faith in God and trust him. Father, Lord, we thank you for how this text today can help us, provide comfort for us, Lord, that we beg, that we need. We're all here for each other. We're here for Nick, for Jackson, for Declan, for Tucker. We're all here together. We are one family, and we are together today, Lord, as rightly we should be. It's where Ray would want us to be, right here, right now, remembering her. That really doesn't make it a lot easier, Lord. But today the message helps us and maybe provide some comfort.